Good morning. It's obviously bad this morning because I'm drinking water rather than coffee. Um, so, um, right, okay. So, this morning I wanted to continue our themes around characters in the Bible and how their lives can both speak to us and challenge us um, today. Over the last few weeks, um, we've looked at Peter, um, who denied Jesus but was restored and became leader of the first church. We've looked at Mary and Joseph and the significance they played in the birth and early life of Jesus, and then in the case of Mary, his ministry. Thomas, who was labelled the doubter, but recognised the risen Lord, Lord Jesus. And last week, Florin spoke about Mary and Martha. Um, and as I've been thinking about this opportunity to speak over a number of weeks, I felt God laying on my heart the character of Nehemiah. Maybe not a character that you would immediately turn your attention to, but someone whose life and ministry has significant things that can speak into our lives today and can reveal to us the character of God. I hope you'll bear with me today as I want to do things slightly different this morning. I want to initially talk about Nehemiah and then use a song that reflects about the things Nehemiah found and what God was able to do, but then all later to focus on our lives, Jesus' ministry and what God can do both in our lives and through our lives for our community, our church and society today. So the first thing I want to do is perhaps to set the context, oh grief, I can't see a thing, <laughs> of Nehemiah in context. Um, now I'm not, um, I'm very definitely not an historian. My history teacher years ago would have definitely agreed I'm not a historian, um, but I hope it helps before we start to think about Nehemiah. So you've got the... Um, children of Israel that were taken into captivity by the Babylonian Empire and they were under 70 years of captivity and then the Babylonian Empire were overthrown by the Persians you have the first return might be better if I take my glasses off um, first return um, and that coincided with the temple being rebuilt. And then over a period of time, you have the second return that involves Ezra the prophet. Before that, you have Esther um, that I'm sure we recognize. Uh, and then the third return is Nehemiah, and that's where we are um, today. Um, and also, um, you've got the writings of Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah as well. So hopefully that just sets in context where we are in history. So the first thing we find about Nehemiah, and you can take the timeline off now. Because, um, um, so the first thing we find about Nehemiah um, is 
that he was stirred by sadness. Now, there's some readings um, that this lovely table here are going to do that hate me because of the names. Um, um, there was... Um, um, there was method in my madness to get other people to read the names out. I'm so sorry. Um, so the first reading, please. First reading is Nehemiah 1, verses 1 to 4a. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakali, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Okay, so Nehemiah hears from his friend what has happened to the remnants that have already returned from exile and he mourned. The nation of Israel had been a very powerful nation and had been feared by other nations in their history. If we think back to um, the story of Rahab in Joshua, where she says these, these words, Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that, so that all who live in this country are melting with fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and that you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, whom you completely destroyed when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. So that was how the people of Israel were thought about um, before the exile. But now we see that, a, that the remnant of part of the nation who are, uh, are in dis trouble and disgrace. And the walls of, the, of Jerusalem were broken down and the gates burnt. Why the significance? They were objects of ridicule from the other nations and they were vulnerable to further attack because there was no protection at all. God had removed his protection from the people of Israel, because of their disobedience. But he had always promised that he would not forget them. So you find that Nehemiah was distraught. Maybe you might say, why? Why was Nehemiah distraught? He'd not lived through that part of history. He'd been born in captivity. What did it matter? But Nehemiah had not forgotten his roots and followed the Lord God even though he was in a foreign land and he yearned for God's people and God's name to be honoured. Maybe for some of us during the pandemic if we had family or friends that were not local we worried about what was happening to them, what they were going through 
and felt helpless because we couldn't do anything about that. And I wonder sometimes what our response is to situations around the world where devastation exists, perhaps in Ukraine, Afghanistan, Yemen, Sudan. Do we weep? Do we cry out to God? Do we long for God to act? So that was Nehemiah who was stirred by sadness to what he'd um, heard about his nation, the nation of Israel. So a second reading is his response, persistence in prayer. Nehemiah 1, verse 5 to 9. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before your day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you, your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather you from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Thank you. So Nehemiah's response to the situation that he learned about was to pray. And if you look at, the, um, look at Nehemiah, we, you realise very quickly that he actually prayed for four months. Um, that's uh, before he actually did anything. He prayed for four months. He didn't just blame the Israelites that had gone before him, but he included himself and his family in the need for forgiveness and reminded God of his promises. There, there had been collective blessing and miracles, but there was also collective responsibility. It's so much easier to perhaps take the attitude, not my responsibility, than to take ownership for things that have happened. That's not to say that we're responsible for situations around the world. But are we responsible for things closer to home, for situations that have happened, for things that we've done, or even things that we haven't done that have resulted in consequences for other people? And the other thing is, if we say, if we say, or if I say, I'm going to pray for something, how much time do we actually do? How much time do we commit to praying, um, how much time have I given um, praying through the topics that Jackie very faithfully gives to us each week? I can say this because she's not here. Um, uh, week by week, or do we leave the church and forget about it till next week? How much um, do you and how much do I want to hear God for our next minister? How much time are we prepared? to give in prayer to him. So then the third reading, boldness in addressing the king. It's Nehemiah 2, verses 1 to 4. In the month of Nisan, 
in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him. I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Okay, so Nehemiah had to do something about what he heard and he had to speak to the king. He was um, the cupbearer to the king, so he was in a powerful position, but the king was able to, was all powerful and able to destroy and kill with a single word. Nehemiah had an important job, but he was not indispensable. You may remember another person who had to speak to the king. Um, in that timeline we looked at, um, we showed Esther. Esther was the wife of King Xerxes. And so, in my reading of it, I think she was stepmother to King Artaxerxes. Um, who, and King Xerxes didn't know that she was Jewish. Um, he'd been tricked into sealing the fate of the Jewish nation by Haman. But if Esther hadn't spoken up boldly, there would not have been the rest of the story because Haman wanted to obliterate the Jewish nation altogether. The effect of that, no Nehemiah, no rebuilding the walls, no New Testament, and no hope for us at all. So Nehemiah spoke to the king, who not only hears him and allows him to go and see the walls of Jerusalem, but gives him his blessing and protection by giving him letters for safe passage and provision for the materials to rebuild. God doesn't answer our prayers with half measures. He gives much more than I guess even Nehemiah could have imagined. And the verse in Ephesians 3 verse 20 comes to me and says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. As God did for Nehemiah, so he's able to do for us. Reading four. Sorry. Nehemiah 2, verses 11-12. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. Nehemiah 2, verses 17, 18. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So Nehemiah prepares for the build. Um, when I was thinking about this 
section, I, I thought how um, there's a Geordie saying, um, and I'm not a Geordie, um, that um, describes, and it says this, Gan canny, go carefully. Um, Nehemiah didn't arrive with trumpets and loud speeches, I'm here to save you, to get everything done that needs to be done. No, he took one or two people with him and inspected the walls at night. Strange thing to do, perhaps, but that's what Nehemiah did. And having done that, he then shared the vision God had given him, and the people with him agreed. A true leader will always have followers, people who are prepared to walk with them and share in the work. Reading five. It's from Nehemiah 2, verse 19 and 20, and uh, Nehemiah 4, 1 to 3. But when Sanballat the Horonite, uh, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them, saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. When Sabbat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was very incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So Nehemiah was resilient even in the face of opposition. Once he started... Once they started with the rebuilding, um, then the opposition came. Um, whilst the Jews were living in the city in disrepair, there wasn't any opposition, as there wasn't any danger. When the rebuilding started, then the opposition came. And it came in the form of ridicule, undermining, demotivating, saying things like, what's the point? Why bother? Things like that. And when the church in the UK is inactive, not doing anything, then it doesn't get persecuted. But when we do put our head above the parapet and want to challenge and see change, then we can expect to receive opposition, ridicule, persecution. Nehemiah and those who worked alongside did not give up in the face of opposition, but they carried on. And then the final reading for this bit, um, Nehemiah, reading six, sorry. Nehemiah 6, verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Right, okay. So the, the walls were built in stages, different parts of the community working on different parts of the wall at the same time. I don't imagine that that's probably the best way 
to build a wall, that different people are doing different things. I haven't seen a house where somebody's doing a bit of this and a bit of that. Um, but um, that was the way that the Israelites worked. Um, and they even, we re if you read a little bit more in Nehemiah, we, we read that they even walked on the wall, worked on the wall with one hand on a weapon to protect themselves whilst also doing the rebuilding. In all, as the reading says, the walls were repaired and rebuilt in 52 days. 52 days. And what is more, the work was recognised as a work of God. And once again, God's name was honoured and recognised. And the surrounding people were fearful because they knew that God was with the Israelites again. So God used Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The walls were broken down in disrepair. The gates burnt. There was utter devastation. What about our society? Are there situations that we know about where there's brokenness, be that in a physical building, in community groups, in people's lives that we know about? Are there situations that God is calling us to be involved in rebuilding here in Adelston. The people of Israel must have felt broken, defeated, abandoned, but God brought about restoration. And that same God is able to bring about restoration in our community, in our friends, in our streets, our schools, our workplaces. I wonder if there's a situation that God's placed on your heart that he's called you to get involved with, to give time, often the most important commodity that we can give, energy, walking alongside a situation that needs support, or maybe if we're able to, to give money or finances to. Sometimes, however, we can feel that sense of brokenness in our own lives. Maybe we've been through broken relationships, faced an illness that we don't know how to face. Maybe even we're struggling in our emotions and we don't, ever, don't see how we can ever move on from that. We ourselves can feel broken. We ourselves can feel defeated. We ourselves can maybe even feel that God has abandoned us. Earlier on in the year, some of you may have noticed that I took some time out of ABC because I was struggling. Um, I felt broken, but God brought about healing in my life. I know that I would never at that stage have been able to stand up and speak this morning, would never have been able to be able to lead the service, would never have been able to play as part of the worship group because God, but only because God brought healing into my life. In Isaiah um, 61 verse 1, 
um, prophesies about the ministry of the coming Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captive and release from the darkness for the prisoners. And Jesus, in Luke 4, uses those same words and speaks of his ministry because Jesus is that Messiah and that ministry is available for each one of us today because the Holy Spirit has come. So God can bring healing into our lives if we feel broken. Maybe there's something that you're asking God to do for you today. Maybe you need to find that healing today. The God in the Bible is the same God that's here with us now. And if we reach out to him, he's able to do much more than we can ever imagine. Let's be open to what God is speaking to us about today.